You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. That's right, here I am, Marcus Hall, and another episode of The Kingdom Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out Facebook and like us and, uh, you know, um, share and subscribe and rate and all that fun stuff. So this episode is another sermon episode, and that's something I I want to uh, keep keep doing and and providing uh, from time to time in here um, to to give sermons. And uh, not just not just mine, uh, but uh, others too. So t- today, uh, the my buddy and and I uh, uh, that I mentioned about um, talking about or working on a future episode together for him to be a first guest. His name's Ryan. He delivered the message today at our church. So I'm going to be playing that for you guys. And uh, so a couple of things to note out uh, here um, that, again, it's a phone recording. So I did amplify the sound and I compressed it and did did my best to make it um, listenable. Um, it will be a little bit quieter, probably, with a lot of just some noise maybe going on. But um, that's okay. It, it shouldn't matter. You can still hear him. So that's just it's the way it is. Um, at the beginning, you, you may not, if you don't go to our church, um, so obviously the, I'm sure there's people he, listening that don't, I know that, 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 that there is, you may not, um, oh, excuse me. I just totally burped. <laughs> I'm keeping that in there. That's raw, you know, raw hall right here. Um, the, um, let me tell you about the situation. That way you will understand what he's sort of, he's talking about. I, I cut out a, a little bit at the beginning, but our pastor has just recently this last week, he's um, had heart surgery. Um, he was going to have a, a, a valve replaced, but then they said it just needed repair. They uh, went in through the side. And it was all going good until the catheter and the aortic uh, valve or, uh, area there um, got a hole in it, and he started bleeding out. So they had to end up going, breaking them open, doing open heart surgery. So didn't go as planned, but everything turned out okay. So uh, thank God for that. And so, but before before all of this, he knew that. He was going to be out for a while, uh, recovering and, uh, stuff like that. You know, it's hard to tell exactly how long you're going to be down, um, and recovering. So he, he'd gathered a handful, um, of us at the church to, to meet and, and, and have a meeting and just eat, eat a bunch of food and hang out. And, uh, um, Ryan and I have, um, in, in the past been, been the two, um, that would rotate and, and, uh, give messages. Uh, but he, he picked, uh, four others to do that too, uh, which, uh, I think was, uh, pretty cool because the way it ends up lining out with the topics that he suggested, um, he wasn't telling us what to preach. Um, everything that he has sort of just been hitting on um, in his his previ- previous uh, sermons was building up to um, just more of this stuff, and it all sort of fits together as far as topics go for each individual person that's going to speak. So uh, R- Ryan's talking about that a little bit um, at, at the very beginning about how he got intimacy 
Um, and he was like, oh, well, intimacy, intimacy could be prayer. It can be, you know, discipleship or uh, grace, uh, all these sorts of things. But it ended up being some of the, the topics that get uh, suggested to the other men that will be um, preaching. So that's what he's referring to there so you obviously really wouldn't know what he's talking about and you would seem lost until he really does go into the message so i wanted to point that out there is also a point um he does play a video uh to to share uh some more a, a little bit more info um um that he said it segues into what he's talking about um there's no the video visually is nothing for you to be concerned about that you are not missing out on. Um, so you'll hear the audio and that's all you need to uh, hear on that. So it's the, uh, it's the words that's being spoken. That's uh, that's important there. Um, then he will have an illustration where he pulls a couple up to demonstrate um, the split or divide between the two because of a fight. And he will say that the scenario that he picked that the wife is mad because the husband broke her favorite hairdryer is even funnier because the husband is bald. <laughs> so, but you, you don't get to see that. So, uh, that's there. And all you have to visualize is that they were facing each other. They turned their backs to each other. Then it gets deep, far further separated when their backs turned. The one side's reconciliation needs to happen and is facing now the other individual while they're sort of trying to uh, avoid uh, the, the, the whole thing. And you'll understand that along with the message. Um, so other other than that, I wanted to share it because Ryan's a guy that we've um, throughout the years we've been we we've known of each other um, in the area that we've grown up in uh, through music and things like that, um, and we never really got to know one another though. And he started to attend um, the same place that um, that we both attend now. And we've grown to be close friends, and we've went through um, our, our schooling together, and we minister together. And I uh, I respect him, and he's one he's one of my friends that knows how I am when I speak and how I present things. So he's one of the guys that in conversations he will um, uh, divvy out some of the stuff the way that I do to spar with me and. And, you know, in resulting iron sharpening iron. So he, he gets me. And uh, for that, I'm grateful. And, um, you know, we but, we've butted heads a couple of times, just being honest here. But it's always been in, in, good, in a good way because we bring different perspectives. Because of that, that shows the diversity that we um, that is in the body. And that all things don't end up in division or disunity because we understand, we take moments to understand um, that, that, that disagreement or that diversity at hand and work through it and work through it in grace and love. And we've always been able to do that. It's, it's never been an ugly, knockdown, ugly fight or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, just in friendships and relationships alone, sometimes you know that that stuff gets messy, right? Uh, but we we work through it, and we don't work through it for the sake of, you know, whatever. It's for the that because we're friends, we're friends, and we care for for each other. And uh, he's a brother that um, I'm grateful to have in my life. So I wanted to share his message and uh, let you guys hear that. I think it's a good message, and uh, my <laughs> my only thing that I'll pick on is that he uses um, uh, the Passion Translation uh, for for one scripture reading that he goes into. He does describe the reason why he's using the Passion Translation, so he didn't have to go into the Greek that's being used there. 
Um, he um, felt that it described it better because, um, and in fact, it, it does give the difference of how love, the differences of love in Greek that's going on in John when, when Jesus is, is saying, hey, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus is actually saying, you know, hey, do you agape me? And Peter replies, uh, I phileo you. So big difference when you're reading that and all you see is, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. So the way um, the Passion uh, translated that um, gets that meaning across a little bit uh, better than just love and love. And um, I, I just point that out because um, I, I don't, I don't uh, care too much for the Passion Translation. It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, even though it's um, uh, advertised as a translation. Um, the New Testament is has been uh, transcribed from Aramaic instead of Greek. Um, so there, there are some, some things in there, and, and the, the guy has had to revise it. Um, he's on this third or fourth revision at this time so you know yeah there's there's just problems with it so that's the reason that might that's my thing with it so um but that's not that's not anything bad on on ryan's uh part there i just wanted to uh, make that statement because i make statements like that in the podcast so without further ado i don't have a title uh so Here's Mr. Ryan's, uh, Brother Ryan's sermon. And there's intimacy with God, and then how we were supposed to portray that. So I can talk about, like, I need to do prayer. How do I worship? How do I put the kingdom things into purpose? Oddly enough, as he was giving everybody these things, he pretty much covered all of that. So now I'm having to think of a way to not be redundant. <laughs> so I don't want to give you guys a small summary of everything you're getting ready to hear in the next five weeks. So I have to sit here and try to come up with something a little, little newer. So we've been, well, not me, Marcus here has a podcast. I don't know if anybody, if everybody knows it or not. Doing a ph phenomenal job, Kingdom Project podcast, right? Yeah. Okay. Goes through, he does some debunking on some stuff that we always thought were, you know, what we just grew up thinking. He goes in, digs real deep into the words, and actually finds the real meaning behind stuff, and it's awesome. So I had had this thing pop in my mind. I was like, God, if I could go back with the knowledge that I've gotten now and really developing a relationship, what was this one thing that I wish I could do? And it was to go back to college in these philosophy classes that I had and, and readdress my philosophy teacher in a much better way than just trying to go, I don't know, you're just going to have to accept my faith, which is awesome, but Christianity actually stands up for itself. And you had a lot of atheists that their biggest argument, I'm doing this because this is one of the topics we're trying to, I was wanting to go over with him, kind of do like a team up on this one, was how to take these typical atheist arguments and bring them to light, that they really don't have any base that there's no real footing in these arguments. And one of them that I've, I've sitting here been watching these videos, and it's really hurtful to try to watch. But one of them that is just constant is what makes your God any different than any other God? There's thousands of them. But what makes our God the one that they should choose? What makes us think that he's any different than any of these other ones. So I started looking into some of the other religions. I can just cover, let's say, the three major ones for the most part, very common. I could, I could start going down these avenues of things that I've, I've found some gods that I'd never even heard of before. 
But we're, as a world, we're worshiping all kinds of stuff. But the three ones that I've got here, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism. That's the three I'm going to cover. They all, for the most part, actually cover kind of the same spectrum. Hinduism, they have a god called Brahman. Their god is actually, this god is actually a whole bunch of gods mixed into one who is a supreme being, but yet he's actually not the only being. There's like 40 other gods that's like sucked up into this one. Some of these gods are actually currently repenting for sins that they themselves have done, but now they're going to have to repent for for all eternity, so these gods aren't even right. They don't even have a relationship with you. They just have a specific job, and that's it. Your job is to figure out how to live life, to get to the next being and the next being, and then you keep getting reincarnated, and hopefully sooner or later you get to come up into this, like, once we get up to, like, human, you're like, you're, you're almost there. There's a little bit farther to go, but congratulations, you've made it very far in the process. But if you mess up, you could turn into like an insect, like a spider. My wife's going to tell me I need to smash you with a shoe, so I don't really see how that's good, because it's all based on you. Islam, Allah, very similar, probably actually is our same exact God, but they have a very Old Testament view on him. He only spoke through prophets. He only speaks to the Quran. Muhammad was the last one. So now God is done talking to you. From this point on, you have to somehow make sure you're constantly in good with God. If he's not, judgment will be cast upon you very swiftly. Buddhism, their God, they don't have a God. You're your own God. So good, good luck. Good luck. Wisdom through experience. What do you do in life? How do you adjust? How do you get better? How do you become more of a peaceful creature? Not a single one of them view us like our God views us. Not a single one of them wants a personal relationship. Not a single one of them wants intimacy. They all want one thing, and that's to be known as God. That's it. They could care less if you live or die. You must equal up to their expectations, or you're just out for the picking. You see, uh, I'm actually... Go ahead and play the video. It'll cover part of this. I'm going to say anyways. constantly pops out when you read the scripture that says something to the extent of, I will be their God and they will be my people. And there's this theme from Genesis to Revelation of God's heart wanting to be with us, to dwell with us, and to be our God. And you see that when you zoom out all the way throughout, even in the Old Testament, you see God dwelling in a temple, dwelling in the tabernacle, which then turns into the temple. And there's this, this vulnerability to God where he's the infinite creator of the universe, but because his goal is to dwell with us, he's willing to make himself vulnerable to brick and mortar into a building simply so that he could get his goal. And you would think that the creator of the universe dwelling with us would, would gain our obedience, but instead, if you read the Old Testament, the Israelites were nothing but idolaters. They were worshiping everything except God. They wanted to craft God so they could make with their own hands, not the one that was uncontrollable Yahweh. And, and, and so even throughout that, though, God constantly, relentlessly pursues them and goes after them. And, and after hundreds of years, he finally gets to the point where he says, my goal is still to dwell with my people. Instead of retreating, I'm actually going to go deeper. And there's this little period of silence, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. And in John chapter 1, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwell in Greek literally can mean tabernacle. So it's saying that Jesus tabernacled among us, or Jesus pitched his tent 
with us. And so God constantly is coming down farther and farther, making himself more and more vulnerable to a point where he now walks among us. He now is hungry, tired, he's sad, he can be happy, he, he grieves, he, he cries, and this God is now one of us. And you would think again that with him walking among us, that we would then bow down and worship him like he rightfully deserved. But instead it says that he came to his people and his people knew him not to the extent where we actually kill him. We crucify him and put him on the cross and say, we don't want you here. You would think at that point God would finally say and snap his fingers and say, fine, it's all over. I want nothing to do with you guys anymore. See you later. This has only caused pain, grief, hurt, and ache. But no, no, instead he says, no, no, my goal is still the same. My goal is to dwell with my people. So he resurrects in new life. And then it says he actually sends his spirit to dwell in us. I mean, it doesn't get much more vulnerable than that, that God is now dwelling in us. It says we can quench the very spirit of God. And so it's almost as if the scripture is this stairway down from heaven of God getting closer and closer and closer to be with his people. It even says in Revelation that we don't need a temple because he becomes our very dwelling place. And there's this promise in Isaiah 11, I believe, that actually promises of the end times when everything is fully restored and renewed. It says that at the end of time, God's glory will cover the earth the way the waters cover the sea. And it's kind of a cute and kind of a quaint verse, but when you really think about it, it's kind of weird, right? I mean, like, water doesn't cover the sea. Water is the sea. I mean, if you try to go and take out the water from the sea, you just took out the sea also, right? And what I think God's trying to say there is that his glory at the end of time, he will get his goal so much, it'll be so linked with earth and with us, they'll be so close together that you actually can't separate the two. If you pull one out, you pull the other one out as well. And so God's glory will cover the earth the way the waters cover the sea. So the question is, is that the finish line for us? Because that's where God's going. So is our life on that trajectory? Do you see the scripture primarily as something that you have to earn for God or a ladder that you have to climb in obedience to God? Or do you see the scripture primarily about a God who is making himself vulnerable to dwell with his people? So you see, our God is much different because he wants this relationship. He wants to dwell in us and with us. Because that's what I love about the tabernacle is actually later on in the Bible, God ends up referring to us as the tabernacle. So God gets to dwell in us. We're no longer, this is not the tabernacle. You yourself are the tabernacle. Everywhere you go, you are a living representation of the God that you serve. No other religion is like this. There is no relationship. There is no intimacy. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Amen. That's every other religion. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit so that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. No others, no other religion is saying that. That everything he did was in order for you to be able to be held up and be glorified with him. He did everything he possibly could to bring you back into exact purpose of what you originally started life with. Not a single one is focused on bringing us back to the intended purpose. They have to all think we have to find it ourselves. But, the interesting thing is, is the, if we look to Christ, he actually reveals everything. And I'll stop just because this is a rabbit trail. Because we've been doing this adoption thing, I've been looking at just different things. And whenever the Bible brings up adoption, I want to know why he's specifically saying adoption. I mean, we could say we were just born into it or whatever. But he's saying that we are adopted. Spirit of adoption as sons. And you start looking in the legalism of things. I can divorce my wife with very little 
means necessary. I can give my own child up for adoption. But for me to undo an adoption, I have to justfully prove to a judge that it is not in the best interest of the adoptee to end that adoption. I don't see how that's possible with inside the gospel. There's never a way that I can end my relationship with Christ. I could try to deny it, but there's no way I'm ever going to cut off what he's done for us. The amazing thing about Christ, and I'll get back on where I just said he reveals everything. Stockholm students, you're going to hear a little bit of redundancy here. Is that he actually is 100% God and he's 100% man. So whenever I look at Christ, I'm actually seeing both examples lived out. He actually reveals both identities in this situation. He shows us what God is 100%, and yet shows us what we are supposed to be 100%. He's actually displaying two examples. If we just sit back and look at the Old Testament, God looks scary, let's be honest. He does. I mean, he looks terrifying. In part of the Bible, God doesn't seem too bad unless you sin, and then it's just like he's viewing just for a second just to punch you as soon as you do something bad. And a lot of times, as Christians, that's the exact thing we do. We display, we still walk around just waiting, like for God to strike you because you messed up, and that's not the case. Did anybody ever have... No, you're fine. Get used to it at this point, buddy. <laughs> it's just, it's just my preaching just fills him up. I just... <laughs> but everyone, maybe growing up, everybody had that one father that it was like really intimidating. Like the, the, somebody's friends, you go over to their house and everything was perfectly fine. Little living, so there must be something going on here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're fine, like whenever Jesus is in the room, but as soon as Jesus leaves the room, you're like looking at the God going, Hi. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit intimidating if we only look at what was going on. I mean, we're trying to display God in a covenant situation. He was bound by certain actions because of a covenant that he had to live under. He is faithful. If he gives you a promise, he is going to live up to that promise. And that's what it was. The covenant was a situation. He told these people, I am going to do this. I am going to protect you. I will defend you. If anyone comes against you, they will die. They had, he had to do that. It wasn't, he didn't want to kill these people. They were his creations just as you and I are his creations. But there was an obligation he was under. So I cannot be judged for an obligation that I have been set under. And nor should we do that to God. This will be the only scripture I ask you to turn to. John 21, 15 through 17. To me, this is one of the most beautiful displays of what God does in a relationship with us. What he's truly trying to do at all times. And because of the way, a lot of times through this you're just going to see the word love in most definitions. Okay, There is two totally different words of love being used here. Okay? I am using the Passion Translation in this situation because it is actually clearly defining both sets of love. Okay? It makes it easier than me having to go through here and just define both words and show you each one what it is. Okay? It says, After they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, 
do you burn with love for me more than these? Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know I have great affection for you. There's a difference there. They're not on the same page. They are not saying the same thing. Jesus repeated the question the second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, my Lord. You know I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep. Then Jesus asks him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? It says Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, My Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. Jesus then replied, Then feed my lambs. That little thing where he's talking about that guy, well, he says he's stair-stepping down. God wants to find you exactly where you were at and meet you right there and pull you right back to where you're supposed to be. He wants to find you in your situation and make you right. Because what you have here is you actually, right before this, where it says after they had breakfast, Jesus is building a campfire on a shore. Three chapters before all of this, you have Peter denying Christ three times around a fire. Now, fast forward three chapters later into 21, and you have God bringing Peter right back to this spot so he can reconcile himself. Peter had actually, for the most part, just said, I screwed up, forget it. Because just a few passages right before 15, he says, I'm going fishing. He's with the disciples. He was a fisherman. God has called him to build the church. But he knows good and well he screwed up. The rest of us, the Old Testament God or our Old Testament views, you were expecting Christ to see Peter start coming up to shore and just go, Traitor! But that's not what it was. You see him give him the chance. Do you love me the way I love you? Does it again? Do you love me the way I love you? Guess what? I love you. That's pretty much what he's saying in that last spot. There is, it is not a two, God does not care. He wants to bring you to the reconciliation point. He loves you that much. And he will bring you to the realization of the reconciliation. So, a lot of us are in this spot. They're in the, we're in this situation to where we know good and well God has called us to something, but we screwed up. I know that I lived that way because I ran away from this, the calling of my life to be a pastor, for a long period of time because I didn't think I was worthy. And don't think for a second, God, whenever, as soon as I walked in these doors the very first time, God just went, now are you ready? And you just, it just crumbles to know that all he's, he's still just knocking. He's not forceful, but he's just knocking. Because he loves you to the point to really, he realized that if you're going to actually love me, I need you to truly make the choice because love is not a forceful thing. Love is a choice that I must make. But like I said before, we've all been to this weird spot. So how, how do we get that? Relationships within Christianity is an interesting thing. And Justin and Amber, I'm going to use you two as volunteers for this. 
Because you said you don't remember it, or you don't know if you got to experience it. So I'm going to display to you guys, through a little action here, how we get to the point of misunderstanding God's love. So go ahead and come up here, both of you. And I'm going to use the same example that I, I heard, because this is going to make it so much funnier. <laughs> okay, so we all know that they just got married, okay? Not too long. How long ago has it been? Good job, last. Don't make this. This is not prophetic. Don't, don't get angry. So, so, you did something. You've got woman, man, very easily. This is hard for me to admit, but it, not, you're, you're going to lose all the arguments. Um, it's your fault. So, even in this situation, it's, it's Justin used Amber's, this is why it's funny, blow dryer. And ruined it. <laughs> Alright. It's her favorite hair dryer. It really didn't matter, but he's ticked off. She's ticked off because it's broken. Okay? So, because of his actions, his wrongdoing, there is a break in the relationship. So, face away from each other. So, the, the broken hair dryer which I would understand why she's angry because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> is representation of our sin. We've done something to break the relationship with God. It's a falling out. It's a broken relationship. The male realizes there is need for forgiveness, but the female's not going to have it. So, Justin, grovel. You just stay facing this way because you're, you're, you're just... Come on, just give me There we go. There we go. So, at some point, the female is still not ever giving the forgiveness. Amber, she ends up moving out. Okay? So, walk this way. So, Justin comes to the conclusion, it's been six months, eight months, however long, you're coming to the conclusion that it's just not going to happen. So what you start doing, like we always do in every relationship that ends up being kind of awkward, is whenever you run into them in public, you avoid them, right? Mm -hmm. Go to the store, you see them over in the produce aisle, I don't need vegetables that bad. <laughs> so you go over to the frozen, uh, frozen section, right? So... You want the relationship at this point, but it isn't happening. So as time goes on, you have done nothing but just, you just simply avoid her. Everything, every turn, you're like, oh, there she is, I gotta go away. This is this law situation. God has put a law over us at this point, and all we're trying to do is not mess up. She realizes. Amber realizes that reconciliation needs to happen. So, she one day forgives the man. So, she has reconciled the relationship. Go ahead and turn around. But now, you're still avoiding her. So, you turn away. She's reconciled. He wants the forgiveness. But he has not received the forgiveness. This relationship could be fixed if he simply would reconcile, accept it. The problem is no longer existent, but the fact that we constantly are just trying to avoid the situation that we're running scared, it's never fixed. She seeks him out, which is what's beautiful about God, is he's constantly seeking us out. She is trying to fix this. She is doing everything in her power what's up, little man? to make this come back together. So 
they end up getting to a laundromat one day, and he's still trying to run scared, and he's not. She's pretty much putting him in a situation. It's like, listen, I, I forgive you, but sometimes we can make it on our own, and sometimes we can't. So we need that ambassador. In the Bible, our ambassador was Christ. He came on the scene and showed everybody that God is not mad at you. He's trying to fix this relationship. He wants to be with you. He's never wanted any of this stuff for you. He's trying to mold the relationship back to its intended purpose. So Christ steps on the scene, or now it would be you and I, step on the scene and just simply go, hey, 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 I want to let you know that God actually really does love you. And the things that you've done in your life, he does not hold above you, like above your head. He's not trying to judge you. The things that happen in your life are not God. We need the realization so this can come back together. <laughs> that God actually wants the relationship. Thank you. Yeah. You see, God has always sought after the relationship with his people. He made a way for us to be in relationship with him again. Even after we are the ones that brought sin into the world, he fixed it. Because he's not desiring anything else except for just this one-on-one -on -one relationship with us. Just as he's always intended from day one. He's always wanted to dwell with us. The other part of Christ also is that he is 100% man. So, to figure out how we ourselves have to act, we have to look to Christ. So, that means if we are just to know how to act while going through, or, uh, yeah. So, this is the way we know how to act. We must look at his examples. We are to go through his life and demonstrate the intimate relationship that he's had with all of his people. Uh, one of my favorite ones is John 8. Because you actually get to see both sides of the spectrum. John 8 puts us in a spot where you have the scribes and the Pharisees have went and grabbed this woman in the act of adultery and brought, him, brought them before Christ and threw him at, or her at his feet. And he pretty much says, Moses says, we're supposed to kill this woman. What do you say? You see what the world wants to do. They're quick to judge. Judgment makes us feel better. We're almost designed to judge. Because we want... We want reconciliation. But sometimes we don't want reconciliation for ourselves. We're very easy for to be avoided of it. But we definitely want it. If you do wrong, you... Here it is. They say it's a testing. Because, of course, they're trying to find reasons to come against God. They're wanting a reason to crucify Him. But God simply says something out of wisdom. And that is, who are you all to judge? And if any of you have anything whatsoever in your life to hold as guilt, then you can't throw a stone. He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And I think it's pretty interesting. It says, and as once they bit down and wrote on the, he wrote, bit down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, probably the wiser ones, or maybe the ones that have more accounts against themselves. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, Not one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. 
go, and from now on, sin no more. See, we realize for ourselves that we have, once we realize we've been reconciled, it's our duty to make sure everyone else around us knows that they have been reconciled. God is not a God sitting here waiting for us to screw up. He is a God that desires for us to have a relationship <clears throat> with Him and live from that relationship. So what makes our God different from any other God? Our God is different from every other God because our God desires to dwell with us. That I matter to this God. That my life matters to this God. That you all matter to this God. The desire of this intimacy that our God has. I hope that my desire to have any form of relationship with him is anywhere close. Because I want to be able to say, God, like you didn't have to try to stair-step your way down, that my life does burn for you. That, that I do desire, as much as I humanly possibly can, to desire to have a relationship with you. That if there is any place lacking at all, that he brings it to my attention and, and I can then be brought back up. So... In closing, that's just, that's what I'm going to say, is if there is a place at all that you need to be reconciled, let us as a body help build you back up if you're not finding the way through the word or any other thing else. That's what our job is, is to build each other up. Is to put us right back. God did it all, but we have to come to the realization of what it was. What he did. How far he did it. How far he reached. Thank you. We thank you for meeting us right where we are. And doing everything that we that you can to bring us to where we are supposed to be. God, I I, I search every single day, and I hope these people also search just to understand how much you love us. Because once we get to that point, relationships change, outlooks on life change. This is just a simple act of going up to a stranger. Changes. 
God, we just want to be beacons for your, your light, for your life, for your freedom. Everything that you've ever granted for us, God, we just pray right now that they come to the that we come to the realization of what they all are. That the intimate relationship that we are supposed to be walking in just starts to be displayed every single day. That it starts to affect the people around us, God. They want to know what it is about us that makes us a little bit different than everyone. That when troubles do come, because you have said that they will, that there is not a single thing that will shake us. That we see you in everything. That we come to the that you didn't cause the storm but you are in the storm with us that even when we think we have lost something that we see the possible avenues of where you're going to be taking us to prove that that is still a victory We just pray that your, your intimacy just leads to peace. And right now, that's the biggest thing that's going on in my mind right now is just Alright, so hey, there you go. I hope it wasn't too quiet for you. I hope you were able to hear everything. Um, any questions, comments, concerns, uh, disagreements, what have you, uh, get a hold of us at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and rate. Until next time, be a mustard seed, be leaven. Thanks. <laughs>